0: Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier digital art platform. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge,
1: all while appreciating beautiful art. Let's jump in.
0: Maybe I was gonna say, maybe we could just set the stage uh, a little bit about this, uh, you know, about remembrance of the thing's future. And I know uh, this is volume four, and maybe for folks who are less familiar with it, you could tell us about the, the broader initiative.
2: Yeah, um, so, so I'm Lady Cactoid, and I am a co-founder of Cactoid Labs. We are working with the Los Angeles County Museum of Art on a blockchain initiative called Remembrance of Things Future, which is an invitation to um, artists uh, working on the blockchain to explore the museums encyclopedic collection and make new digital work inspired by, by objects um, at the museum. And so we have done three different um, projects so far. Um, one, the very first was a, a, a five artist um, endeavor, which included Emily as well as Sarah Zucker, who's here with us today and Jen Stark and Monica Rizzoli and IX Shells. Um, And then we followed that up with a solo project by Monica Rizzoli, which was looking at these beautiful um, 19th century woodblock prints in LACMA's collection. Um, then a couple of weeks ago, we did something with Deaf Beef that looked at the early chronophotography of Edward Moybridge at LACMA, and then Emily, um, oh yay, Emily is is I think just arrived. Um, Emily is looking at quilts in in LACMA's very extensive um, costume and textiles department, in which there are hundreds and hundreds of quilts. And she became very inspired by the underlying computational logic of quilt making. Um, And so I should say that this initiative is coming alongside a major uh, reappraisal of early computer art at LACMA, an exhibition called Coded Art Enters the Computer Age, 1952-1982, to 1982, which is right... so sorry, I had a call come in. It closes, um, Coded closes July 2nd, and um, that exhibition... Uh, is is really sort of a look at both early pioneers of computer art and the way that computers influence art and popular culture more broadly um, in the age of mainframe computers. Um, And this is also, I should say, um, resonating um, and building off LACMA's long-running engagement with art and technology, um, something that we've spoken about with the museum in a number of spaces, but this is really um, a continuing conversation. And so Emily's work is really in dialogue with not just the permanent collection, but with these these questions that the museum is seeking to explore um, at these kind of edge of art, art and, and technology. So this project really taps into a very rich history of, um, of weaving and textiles and technology. So um, I wanna I want to welcome Emily um, and then I can return to some ideas in, in just a bit. So um, Emily, I'm so happy that you you got uh, you got here.
3: <laughs> yeah, I had some technical difficulties. Uh, can everyone hear me okay? Yep. Perfect. Great.
2: Well, Jared, I'll let you and Priyank kind of guide us, guide us through. But um, yeah, and then we'll, we can just answer and talk through ideas you want to look at.
0: Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, Emily, for making the time. I know that you've had some travels, so we really appreciate you making the time for our community and to share more about this beautiful art. And I thought maybe we could start. I mean, Ella, Lady Cactus did a fantastic job laying the stage about. Um, remembrance of things future and how you really got interested in a lot of the the quilt making and the textiles and you sent a tweet out yesterday talking about how you drew inspiration for this project from the uh bullseye quilt by Martha Lou Jones but maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that you know what what was it about it that drew you to it and how did you start thinking about translating that into generative art yeah um
3: well First of all, thanks for having me on your show. Um, It's great to be here and to be able to chat a little bit more about um, my artwork. Um, And I would say that, um, you know, what had inspired me for this um, series, this interwoven series is um, the, in general, I was pretty drawn to the quilts and fabrics um, within LACMA's archives Um, and, you know, fabrics and textiles they do tend to inspire me uh, because they are so multi-sensorial so you know in addition to just the visual of the fabric itself there's you know sense of touch warmth like smell when you look at something like a quilt and i think you know the aesthetic of quilts are pretty fascinating to me and you um you know i think that It's interesting how they're just a patchwork of varying fabrics um, and each little patch kind of has its own tale and history Um, and the way that these kind of come together to create like a single engaging piece. This always has fascinated me and you could probably see that sort of fascination reflected across my um, body of work. Um, But yeah, I'm continuously sort of drawn to that. And I think in this collection, I continue to explore that um, and I did end up looking in depth at uh, several pieces within LACMA's collection. Um, you know, I looked at some quilts that had, for example, the Mariner's compass patterns. I found was really pretty. I was also pretty fascinated by some of the crazy quilts, uh, which is its own distinct genre. Um, but, you know, like um, Lady Cactoid mentioned, the one that really drew me in one that I kept coming back to was this piece in particular by Martha Lee Jones, um, and that's called Bullseye. Um, And that was made in 1896. And, um, you know, as was mentioned, like, what really drew me to this piece was how representative it was towards this essence of generative art. You know, it represented that balance between um, the human and the computational pretty, um, pretty beautifully so you know on the surface it is like a systematic geometric design it's this matrix of um repeated circles um with sort of rings chosen um each circle kind of has rings that kind of repeat within itself and these are pretty arbitrarily chosen it seems but you know if you look at this if you look at each piece, each bullseye uh, pretty closely, you see that they're pretty imperfect. You know, the circles aren't quite perfect circles. They each have their own imperfections. Um, and this tension is what I definitely um, wanted to emphasize um, quite a bit more um, in my, in my series. So, yeah, I was just really inspired by sort of the overarching um, sort of ideas behind quilt quilting and also, um, yeah, the aesthetics of it Um and in terms of how I, you know, translated that to, um, to sort of the final piece, you know, um, I you know I started with these bullseye rings, and that was just sort of creating, for example, like a circle, uh, noiseifying it so that it is imperfect and had that kind of distorted, warped, um, you know, imperfect circle shape, and then uh, sort of. Uh, uh you know repeating that pattern inwards and going from there from there kind of the the piece kind of grew grew out um a little more organically yeah uh,
0: excuse me that that's amazing i love hearing about some of these uh you know how, how you took that inspiration how you thought about it and you know i'm, I'm glad you explained that about the imperfections because i did notice that the circles were not uh, in the pieces that you teased. They were not quite perfect. In, in generative art, or at least in computer systems, they tend to come out perfect. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I love how you infused that in there as a you know an homage to that original piece. And I you know I wanted to ask you: Was there anything about the quilt making process that you dove into? Well, it sounds like you dove into. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but you dove into. Okay, here's how. Quilts are were actually made back then, and the the mechanical systems, but in you know some ways could be mirrored as generative systems that were utilized there. So you know what did the machines do? What were the different um, layers upon which these quilt were quilts were made? And was that something that you tried to mirror in your generative process? So
3: mm.
0: let's say for example, it was like five different processes that occur in sequence in the, in real life quilt making. Mm. Did you try to mirror that as you were coming up with your own generative designs or, mm. or think about that in any way?
3: That is such an interesting question. Thanks for asking that. Um, you know, I actually t- uh, didn't dive into sort of the more machine based aspects of um, quilting. Like I actually thought about it in terms of like handmade quilts. I actually ended up watching uh, quite a few uh, videos on YouTube around quilting, just like videos that um, uh quilters in our modern day and age uh, uploaded, teaching people how to make certain patterns. Um, And I also looked through a bunch of uh, quilt designs, Um, you know, earlier in the process, um, when I was still kind of exploring this idea of quilting, I did kind of, Uh, generatively recreate for example like a mariner's compass uh type quilt and uh to do that you know I I was looking at uh, quilt designs like uh people have uploaded pdfs of like how to create like a particular quilt and I think the one thing that really struck me in that process was how um you know how computationally heavy quilting is like you have to have kind of like a pretty good sense for math for fitting pieces together uh, geometrically um to make it work right like quilting is not um quilting is like a pretty mathy um craft and so this sort of um idea of uh sort of fitting the pieces together kind of this idea of bringing in things that are both kind of like that that mathy uh sort of computational aspect of quilting plus the handmade aspect of quilting. I definitely tried reflecting that in the various details of the piece. So, for example, you know, you noted that the circles are kind of imperfect. But actually, if you dig into one of these pieces and look at the like, for example, if you look within the forms that are created and see the patchwork and the way that those are fitted together, that's those are kind of like perfect straight lines. Um, And that's kind of at odds with kind of the curves that uh, constitute the overriding shape. Um, so I definitely tried uh, continually fusing that um, that sort of balance in the piece in a, from a visual perspective.
0: Got it, got it. That that's awesome. I would love to uh, not not that I could make a generative piece like this, but I'd love to see some of these quilting videos. Now I think that would be cool to just to like learn about how people make these. And that you're right. I, I zoomed into a piece as you mentioned it, and the. Sort of the the vectors are quite straight but the overall circle ends up not being uh perfect so that's that's a really cool nuance that you've infused in there and i i wanted to ask you you know you had a piece in the volume one of remembrance of things future in this tweet thread you put out which which i'll pin up here uh, or actually it probably is pinned up here already but um you mentioned that you know, you had that original piece and then you built upon it to create these hundred unique pieces. And I'm curious, was that, you know, was that one of uh, that initial addition, was that something that you made separately or was it part of the same generative system? And if not, how did you try to expand the system to create the variety that you've shown in these outputs, which are just beautiful?
3: Yeah. Um, So yes, that initial addition that I created, it was like an addition one-of-one output for, volume one for remembrance of things future. um, That that's called generative patchwork and bullseye. Um, And it is um, in there's a lot, it is kind of the same underwriting, um, underlying algorithm. um, But that was a curated output. That was something where I kept rendering a bunch of images and kept tweaking the parameters until I saw something that I really um, liked. Um, And in the thing is, like this, this while it was made generatively, like for a one of one, I really wanted to see more, like what else the system could do. And so for interwoven, this new series, this is you know the long form on chain exploration of that. And this algorithm, I would say, um, it's not the exact same. Um, it goes quite a bit further. Um, I'd say that uh, you know it dives a bit more into this aesthetic of quilting with a greater like variety of patterns. Um, to sort of enhance that patchwork aesthetic. Uh, I p- roped in a lot more patterns. You know, the patterns were a lot more muted in that first one-of-one um, one, um, addition output. Um, and, you know, I also fine-tuned the algorithm just so that it would start giving um, more forms that resemble creatures a bit more. You know, they, they, a lot of them, they look like, people have told me they look like crabs or like a person floating or, you know, um, and... You know i i was curious about this you know about how the diversity of the system could create this idea of you know like serial narratives that is pretty reflective of or at least pays homage to this idea of um yeah narratives within traditional quilt making um you know I, I would say if you look into the history of quilt making they've been used quilts have you know been long used to in some ways document historical events one example that immediately comes to mind is you know the famous um, aids memorial quilt which you know it was a, a massive community art project that commemorates you know um, the history and lives of people who died from aids and each panel of the quilt you know represented a an individual represented that person's like an individual's story and you know i wanted this series to kind of have that same you know storytelling aspect for each item that came out each output that comes out i wanted it to represent um a different narrative i wanted people to look at it and sort of project onto each piece their own story their own subjective selves and interpret it for it to look like and resemble something that means something to them. Um, And I think that it's pretty interesting having these two volumes, you know, side by side. On one hand, you have the curated one-of-one-editioned output, and then on the other, you have the long-form sort of exploration. Um, And I think that it's an interesting sort of juxtaposition because, you know, these two pieces, these two volumes would represent this tension in generative art around this idea of direct curated artistic vision versus you know the idea of giving oneself giving one's agency over to the machine and to this to the power of randomness uh, to this idea of you know surprise and um, the unexpected
0: yeah i mean just I keep looking at these outputs as you're talking about them and you the, the word juxtaposition is perfect. I mean, you're trying to juxtap- juxtapose the sort of the, the machine-like nature of, of, and precision with the just natural entropy. And I, I just, I got to say, I love how you really utilize so many different patterns in each of these pieces and how the patterns are also reflected in the border of the piece, I find that to be really pleasing, and it seems to to bring the pieces together really, really well. And I uh, let's see. I, I guess I had a couple questions for you here. Um, one question I have for you is because I, I do love the forms that you utilized here. And it feels very much uh, like memories of Chi Lin where you have forms there and it it really like tickles my brain because some of them represent things that I've seen, you know, animals, perhaps mythological figures, things like that. But then you can't quite put your, your finger on it. And I, you know, one thing I love to ask artists is like, how did you, how did you draw a through line if you did between your prior work, you know, memories? Um, and off script and try to, you know, was there something you were exploring artistically that you wanted to infuse in here that you had started to build off of in, in your prior works?
3: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for um thanks for uh for asking that. That's a great question. Um I you know, I would say that you're spot on with this narrative storytelling aspect that I explored in Memories of Chilin, you know, that project was about mythology, folklore, and you're totally right. Like those images that you see in Memories of Chilin, like they are kind of like a folklore, right? Like you sort of start to see something, like you start to see a form come together, but just as you do, it kind of dissipates, you know? Like it's, it's there, but not really, like you see it in your head, you see it in your imagination, kind of in the same way that you might see, you know, of folklore right um and each image really each person each collector interprets their pieces differently and yeah that is something that i'm extremely interested in and so that continuation is definitely here um y- even in a different like uh different algorithmic system um i still wanted to explore that um and there is that level there's that continuity in terms of um this idea of all these different patterns coming together to create, um, you know, um, unified visuals, that still interested me, I still wanted to explore that I still wanted to, um, I I felt like that I I wasn't finished exploring that. Um, And um, I also would say that there is, um, you know, you might also say that there's a thread of continuity with this idea of, um, m- you know, materiality, right? Like a lot of my work, uh, it explores creating something that feels super tactile, but in a medium that is just as intactile as you can get, right? Like I'm exploring like textures and um, uh, I'm exploring textures and some level of dimensionality um but i'm you know doing it all in um digital form through code right which is uh and, and i think like that that tension i still i still think i've brought that to this work um i still wanted to explore that um and you yeah, i've always thought of artistic work as a process of development of oneself but kind of um maybe externalized into visuals so you know you'll you'll see an artist slowly evolving and growing and I definitely think that it makes sense you'd see so much continuity here, um, and um, yeah.
1: Well, you've, you've mentioned the word tension a few times, and, and it's something that's just I'm absolutely enamored with in your work. How do you find that balance between representing real-world textures and, and the, the algorithmic outputs that, that dominate your artwork?
3: How do I find that balance? Um, well, yeah. I would say a lot of it is kind of in, um, you know, one way to start doing that is to kind of try to recreate like a material texture, like a material real world texture as closely as possible, but then, um, you know, look for ways to kind of even, um, to, to, yeah, to do that as kind of closely as possible, and then, i think inherently the fact that it's a you know an algorithm at the end of the day um you know i think that kind of creates that tension but you know as uh, we, as we've sort of spoken about too there are ways to kind of bring that tension a little bit to the foreground um which like i, I kind of in, in in the series like you know that tension between those straight lines of the patchwork versus the curves of the um, of the shapes like that's something I continually do and I feel like that also brings out that tension in a way that um, is really fascinating to me.
0: Yeah that that makes a lot of sense and you know you're I think folks when they have a chance should really zoom in on these images because you see different levels of the the three dimensionality and the physicality or, you know, it feels like you could grab these and feel them and and see some of the nuances there. And, you know, another thing that really strikes me about this Emily is that the, the patterning that you use within the figures and in the borders feels uh, distinct from the patterning that you used in memories of Qilin and, and off script. And I was curious you know, like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but perhaps there's like some overlap, but did you draw any inspiration for the patterning from your research on these prior works, where whether it was the, you know, the work from Martha Lou Jones or some of your other research on quilting?
3: That is um, a great question. Um, So I would say the patterns themselves um, somewhat, like I created... Um, some new flower patterns for this piece um, and that was definitely influenced by all the sort of floral quilts I was looking at um, but actually the sort of patchwork um, the way the patchwork kind of fit together as you can like as you can see within each piece like and the sort of distributions of them like how random they are um, that was very much inspired by uh, quilts I was looking at, um, specifically, actually, crazy quilts. Uh, They have that kind of like jumbled, um, sort of slanted, um, sort of, but fit together, almost like haphazard kind of appearance to it. Um, But uh, actually, I don't, I actually don't know, I don't think any memories of Chilean textures are in this, but there's actually, one uh, pattern that is from off script that made it in here and i actually really like that because um uh, you know i was saying before how like each piece of pa- each pattern in like a quilt kind of brings in its own history and story and i feel like in this way um this kind of brings in sort of like this piece brings in a history of its own sort of like uh, of, of, of my own body of work and i found that pretty pretty fun
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's super cool. And I, uh, I'll have to go and see if I can figure out which offspring pattern came in here. You don't have to tell us. Yeah. We can call it a, a, a hidden rarity. Uh, and I, I got to ask, uh, do you, uh, and uh, just one quick question before we throw it over to LC, uh, do you do you think that you would ever create a physical, a quilt generated based on one of these patterns?
3: Oh, that'd be so fun! Um, I've definitely been thinking about uh, physicals quite a bit more, um, and definitely want to work that into my practice. Furthermore, right now it's about um, prints, um, and you know I've also created like handmade collages in the past, and of course like before, kind of um, becoming a full time artist, I did play around a lot with traditional media. But um, uh, I will. One thing I will say in relationship to this project is that uh I have been testing prints for it and they this I'm just gonna say that this series looks so good uh printed so I'm pretty excited about that and I really hope that uh, people um, will uh, will pick up some prints they're actually s- scaled a bit smaller like I wanted this series to look a little bit more like almost like a, 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 a you know like a like a patchwork of a quilt like a you know a piece of, a quilt square or something. So it is sized down a little bit um, and uh, should also be easier to fit into your home because of that.
0: Uh, I already have so much FOMO about collecting one of these. Now I want one even more, Uh, but please Elsie, go ahead.
2: Yeah, hey, um, I was going to just reflect upon, you know, how I think um, gifted Emily is in terms of, of of balance and negative space and positive space, and it's something that I'm always really drawn to in your work, Emily. Is that you have this this really elegant way of um, letting objects breathe, um, and I think it's it's all the more impressive when you create you know a, a series of parameters in JavaScript to um, kind of analyze how those objects are going to best breathe when this algorithm is, is, is kind of let free to, to roam. And what I was thinking about is, you know, you, I I love the fact that there's these patterns that come from previous works of yours. I think that's always something that over time I find myself, uh, hooking into in terms of, of artistic practices, whether it's like painters, like Philip Gustin, where you see a repetition of symbols, whether they're cigarettes or light bulbs. And so I think over time to see these patterns come in with with the generative work you're doing is really, really great. And I, I know what we were talking a little bit about the gendered lens that quilt making is often viewed through, um, meaning that people often associate quilts with with women's labor and work, um, and with this concept of, you know, taking something as material as a quilt and then working in this very immaterial way with code. Um, I, I think one of the cool things that your conver- this this work does is it it opens up a conversation about what computers are and how they they work, um, and even though we view them as as immaterial, um, the coded exhibition is is looking at a time when computers took up entire rooms, and we're still using punch cards, and that's actually a method that comes from early textile technology. There were mechanical looms that really like um, kind of shocked the world and changed the way textile production was able to, you know, sort of scale up. And um, th- that that process is, you know, responding to the fact that a loom is, is really, you know, taking physical threads and creating codes line by line on how to build up pattern and color. And that is a really important part of computer history, which I think uh, most people don't think about because we're so far removed from that point. But um, the coded exhibition at LACMA kind of leans into that in different ways um, and includes works by um, older artists like Beryl Corot, who is um, a pioneer of video art whose husband is a very well-known minimalist composer named Steve Reich. And Beryl created these beautiful weavings that really kind of explore both narrative, like Emily and explore like, you know, long-running narratives that are biblical, like the Tower of Babel. And also just like what it, the, the formal the formal properties of code. Um, so next week we're gonna talk with Emily and an artist who's working with LACMA's art and technology lab n- named Sarah Rosalena. And Sarah is actually sort of tr- doing almost the inverse of Emily, where Emily is taking this physical tradition of, of using fabric and making stories and shapes and, and patterns. With quilts and turning that into code and Sarah is looking at code um, and making weavings based off of that so I, I think in both ways like it, it, it's if you kind of like scratch below the surface we get this really nice conversation about just like the underbelly of computers and we kind of view all this as magic these, these, um, these systems, but they are physical, even though they're becoming so tiny with, with, um, with processing chips. Um, so anyway, I think that's all really interesting. I think in some way, you know, that's just like below the surface and not necessarily, um, visible or even necessary to think about, but I do think it's, it's really cool that, that your work, kind of posed, posed those histories for me and made me reexamine them. So um, yeah, I'm, and I'm really excited to see all of these creatures and 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 forms that your code gives rise to reveal themselves next week. Um, and hopefully, I, I know people have spoken quite a bit about in the Discord what sort of shapes they see, but I like the narratives that can come from your work Matt Emily. It's really... It's really quite interesting. <laughs> I'll, and I'll, let, yeah, um, I'll, I'll turn the mic over back to you, Jared and Priyank.
0: No, th- thank you for sharing that, Elsie. And you bring such a wonderful perspective to uh, folks like me who who don't have the same understanding of the history of, of art. Um, so that's beautiful, and I like what you're saying. I mean, it, it really feels like we are quickly moving towards a world where the the physical and the digital are starting to get blended and the lines are blurring a little bit. And, you know, that actually makes me think about other lines that are blurring in our this Web3 art world and, and how, you know, the traditional art world is really starting to embrace the Web3 art world, or it seems like it's certainly accelerating, um, regardless of how you feel what it is on the absolute level. It, it seems more and more. And... It, you know, it's a question that I've been thinking a lot about, Emily. Like, I think it's just amazing that you're going to have this exhibition at such a prominent museum. Obviously, a lot of uh, kudos and uh, props to LC and Cactoid Labs for helping make it happen. But I wanted to ask you personally, what is it like for you to be working on something uh, with the LACMA and to be part of such a collaboration?
3: Um, yeah, it's, I, it's been great. Uh, You know, I think working on such a collaboration, going through the LACMA archives, um, it definitely feels, um, it's interesting because it feels like it's joining together the past and the present. um, And, you know, I get to do it in a way that is so, like in in a medium that is so representative of our modern age. Um, So it's definitely been humbling. um, And I'm pretty excited uh, and grateful that I was invited to do this. Um, so thanks to the museum, thanks Cactoid Labs. Um, you know, if you had told me two years ago that I'd be like a full-time artist and working um, on a collaboration with an institution like LACMA, I wouldn't have believed you. So it's, it's been great.
0: That's awesome. And, you know, I as you've been doing this and I know you're kind of like in the middle of it right now, so perhaps uh, haven't had a lot of time to think about this, but how do you see the future of collaborations between Web3 and traditional art institutes? And and what do you hope for in the future as our Web3 art world continues to evolve?
3: Um, Well, I I would sort of piggyback on what you mentioned about the two worlds kind of blending together. Um, I do think that Web3 and you know, traditional art institutions will sort of continue to fuse closer together. Um, I do think it's inevitable, um, especially with the world becoming one that's more digitally focused. I think it's only, um, it's, it's natural for traditional, you know, art venues to sort of embrace this change. Um, though I do think it will happen as a slow, gradual process. Um, And I do hope that, um, you know, institutions will continue to explore um, blockchain um, and all the possibilities around it, uh, not just as this like novel concept, um, but also, you know, as this uh, real technology that gives you one the means to put a digital art piece out there and, um, and to collect it. You know, I definitely see a future where digital art is, you know, presented alongside traditional art without sort of making that distinction. Um, And each of them sort of complementing and enhancing one another and, you know, sort of creating commentary that way. Um, And, you know, I do hope that there's more inclusivity. There's more of a democratic, like democraticness of art um where anyone can sort of appreciate um you know create and owned art own own the art um regardless of you know where they are um yeah
0: yeah absolutely and now having and, and this may be like uh just me not knowing what it's like to be in your shoes but is there any advice you have for fellow generative artists who want to work with traditional art institutions? Meaning, you know, is this just like making any uh, release like you would for art blocks or does it feel different somehow because you are working with the LACMA or perhaps uh, getting inspiration from what they already have within their collection?
3: Yeah, it definitely feels different. Um, I'd say it's a great learning experience, um, you know, Collaborating with a traditional institution, I think, really gives you um, a chance to kind of um, take yourself deep into, you know, uh, uh, this established history, like centuries of, um, you know, art tradition of artistic expression. Um, don't I would say, you know, you, one should let that inspire you, and you know, let that sort of fill you with kind of knowledge and, um, yeah, let it inform and kind of enrich, uh, your work.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And on a similar vein, I have a question for you, Elsie, uh, being, you know, coming from the traditional art world, you know, it strikes me that institutions could help display digital art through traditional exhibitions uh, let's call it more like the Rafik Anadol's unsupervised where he has a piece of artwork and, and that's uh, sort of displayed there. Um, but here with LACMA and, and with your help and Cactoid Labs' help, you are doing kind of like the Web3 thing where you're releasing pieces of work in a series and they're you know being created and released for this exhibition in a Web3 style. I'm just wondering uh you know, if, if there's any contrast between those two styles, just having a pure exhibition where you take a work that's it's already out there versus really trying to uh, curate a series of artists to then have that work be in the museum. Is that something that I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that experience itself? And if that's something you think more institutions might embrace, kind of like this Web3 fusion of uh, creating exhibitions?
2: Yeah, um I mean, definitely, I think, and I will also say that Emily's work, um, as well as all of the artists who are part of this initiative, the Remembrance of Things Future initiative, have all been exhibiting um, pre-existing works at LACMA um, on screens outdoors at the museum called the Stark Bar Screens, where Emily's off-scripts um, are, are being exhibited. So there are There are both physical conversations that we're having, you know, through those screens at the museum and the dialogue that they create with Coded, um, as well as this, you know, decentralized internet that we are all experimenting with to kind of collectively experience the work um, in real time in Web3, which I think is... I, I mean, I see the I see the, the two vehicles as being, you know, part part partners, and um, you know, just two different methods of of sharing stories with the public. Um, I think that going forward, I mean, look, museums have been doing digital programming for many years, um, and in, in different ways. I mean, the, the Whitney museum in New York has had a long running program called art port, which has been a place for digital and internet artists to explore, um, all sorts of, all sorts of things. Um, but I think you're right. Like people experience them in different ways. It's different to go into the museum and see works in, in, um, on the walls and, um, in three-dimensional space, so I, I think what will happen over time is that there we will blend, blend all of these different ways, um, and also these digital works will become part of permanent collections. And then, as with as one does with collections, you build the, those objects into future exhibitions that happen at the museum, where you know, how wonderful it would be if if it, when LACMA does, you know, installations of the costume and textiles departments, they are able to include contemporary work by artists like Emily that helps us kind of see older objects in a new light, and also maybe reinvigorate our interest in those objects. Um, so yeah, I see lots of potentials. Um, and um I also think there's a lot of potential for museums to collaborate together, you know, across oceans, even through Web3. So yeah, I I think we're just kind of scratching the surface, I I believe right now.
0: Yeah, it's super exciting to see the innovation here. And I think that between the hard work of all of you all, the LACMA folks, Emily, all the artists who've been doing this, it, it's been really well executed and I think certainly really well received from the Web3 side, I imagine the same from the, uh, the traditional side and I got to get out to LA to see some of those uh, installations as, as soon as I can. Uh, but, you know, one question I had to ask, putting the Web3 collector hat on, if, if you can answer this, Emily, I was wondering if uh, there are any like specific outputs or color palettes or anything like that, that you've uh, dropped in here that, you know, may or may not emerge in a 100 piece series of, of works where you were like, oh, I wonder if like that, that cool thing that I put in there is, is going to end up uh, being part of the set of 100 uh, maybe like a vermilion bird palette like you have in Memories, uh, Any anything that collectors love to geek out about that you can share?
3: Yeah. Um, so actually, uh, because it's just a 100-piece uh, set, I actually didn't want to create anything that might not make it into, um, into the final um, collection. I wanted... Um, I wanted the distributions to be fairly kind of even throughout. Um, I think something like that, having like something extremely rare and kind of like uh, sort of um, with having something with a low probability of showing up. I think I want. After thinking about it more, I think I want to reserve those types of things for larger collections. But for something of this size, I just wanted every single output to be kind of like beautiful and compelling and to not worry about um, spending all this time making something really cool and hoping that it would show up.
0: That's, that's fair enough. And, and very sensible that, that makes perfect sense. Um, and uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't actually have any more questions, believe it or not. Um, cool. but, oh, Jared, there you go.
1: I wanted to just take a moment and thank Lady Cactoid and Cactoid Labs for Something that's been top of mind for me is is onboarding of new people, and I think that your knowledge of, uh, you know, the the physical art space and and being able to bridge that into the digital and onboarding and bringing on such great art and artists, the partnerships that you've brought, uh, is really starting to shed light to me on on the the journey and the the real goals that you're trying to accomplish it's very admirable so i know this is about emily but i also wanted to take a moment and thank you uh lc and cactoid labs for for what you're doing for the space you know you're bringing more eyes on to the space that we have all come to know and love so thank you for that and thank you for for all of the knowledge that you've been sharing i was just absolutely googly eyed over um just the, the sheer volume of knowledge that you have so thank you um uh, And thank you, Emily, for, for taking this so, so seriously. I mean, just, I'm, I'm amazed at the amount of thought and, you know, the depth of uh, intent that went behind this project. It's, I'm amazed every single time.
2: Well, that's, that's so, um, that's so sweet. I think, um, I'm, I mean, Emily and I, and, and the museum, we've all had so much fun Thinking about objects that um, you know uh, can help us shed light on these different conversations that are very timely, um, and I love. Um, I I don't teach as much anymore, but I used to teach um, art and technology courses at, at university level and art history um, seminars, and I I have this like fantasy of doing like classes and courses with like web three, but it, it takes a lot of time teaching takes a lot of time and um, but I would I, I don't know if, if people are interested in like learning more about all of these different stories I, I am I find it so interesting because I think to me that's like the whole power of art is that it connects us to each other and to, to the past and I, I think a lot about the fact that time is not linear, it's it's circular and we 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 kind of move back and forth. And so, you know, just it's it's such a it's it's so interesting to work with Emily and think about, you know, her interest in textiles and folklore and and storytelling and computing. So really excited. For this to, to come to come to fruition next week, and for people to kind of marvel at all of these different color um, uh, palettes and and forms that this work gives rise to. So, thank you, Emily, and thank you, Collectors Corner, for for hosting this this conversation. You guys do such a great job of analyzing um, what's happening here with with Web three and generative art at large.
1: And well, last point for, for Emily is thank you for dusting off certain, I'll call it, corners of the LACMA that maybe don't get as much uh, visitation uh, as, as maybe the <laughs> Picassos and so much. I, I think it's really important, honestly, because I think that there's such a, a wealth of beauty that are hidden uh, within the the collections and, and pulling some of this forward and, and really advocating for different mediums and finding one that resonates with you, you know, definitely has done a great job. I think every, every artist has done a great job, but you know, this one in particular, uh, I, I really, really love the way you've connected with some of the pieces in the museum. So, so thank you for that.
3: Thank you. Thank you for that. That means a lot. Um, and, uh, thank you for having, you know, for carving out some time to, uh, uh, to chat, with me and lc about uh about the art this has been great
0: absolutely we we really appreciate the invitation and the opportunity we appreciate everybody in the crowd everyone who's going to be listening later thank you for tuning in and listening to these fantastic folks working super hard to bring us beautiful things and you know i i I hope emily let us know if you decide to make a generative quilt out of this i would gladly purchase one uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep in it. I would put it up as artwork. Don't worry. But uh, <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I love that the exploration that's happening here, and uh, really everything that you all are doing. So please keep doing it, and uh, thank you again, everybody, for tuning in and for your attention. And we, are, we'll look forward to June seventh, seeing them all come out. Really excited for that.
2: Thank you so much, guys. Um, yeah, and uh, we'll we'll just stay updated through Emily and Cactoid Labs. We're going to be doing some good conversations next week um, that look at different aspects of the work as well. So we'll see you. We'll see you there. Um, and I hope everyone has an incredible weekend. Um, and thanks.
1: <laughs> Thank you, everybody. This is awesome.
0: Wonderful. Thanks again, everybody. Take care.